0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. We start a new series today, and I don't know about you, but I've been really excited about this series. I I don't know, I'm I'm partial to series where we kind of follow along uh, in specific text. Uh, You know, I like some topical things, and I like things that that have different subjects we walk through, but this one specifically, as we walk through it, is one that is placed in this specific moment in space and time, uh, as it were, as the Spirit has led uh, to to take place right after this uh, conclusion to a year and the start of a new year. And this concept of reset is one where many of us probably embrace resetting or starting over, starting something new at different times. And the new year is a, is a time where that will take place. Uh, you know, last week, Pastor Seth talked a little bit about resolutions and things you might do. Perhaps some of you are doing a reading plan for your scripture or, you know, different things along those lines. But this is a time where we start something new. It's interesting to note that in oftentimes when we start something new, we also, or in many cases, maybe not also, but in many cases, we're not just starting something new, but we're kind of returning back to something that we did previously. Going back to that diet, going back to that exercise regimen, back to that sleep schedule, going back to something else, resetting back to things that we may have previously done. And one of the things about this specific study of Colossians, as we embrace this reset moment, is that there are going to be things that you've probably heard before. But I can tell you this same thing, that if one day I came home and told my wife, just so you know, I love you, and this is the last time I'm ever going to tell you, it would probably change things in our relationship. There are things that we need to hear more than once. There are things that we need to hear more often, that we need to hear on a cycle. And so as we, re- as we read and as we embrace the truth that God has for us, perhaps there are things that you've heard before in this text. Can I just tell you, good. <laughs> because we should hear it. We should embrace it. We should allow the, allow the God who has given us this gift to continue to wash over us with his goodness and his truth. I, um, most of you know this, I grew up in, in northern Ohio and both of my parents were Ohio State grads. Um, many of my family went to Ohio State. I had no choice but to be an Ohio State fan, particularly an Ohio State football fan uh, growing up and certainly as I look at the, the football landscape right now, let me just do a quick shout out, OU won their bowl game, go Bobcats, right? That was awesome. They showed us how to get it done with a sweet catch at the end. If you watched it, Uh, if you didn't, go back and do it. But congratulations to the team and to the university and coaching staff. That was a good thing. On the other hand, Ohio State, um, while they didn't, I'm still an Ohio State fan. And I recognize a couple of things about being a Ohio State fan. And perhaps if you're an Ohio State fan, you recognize these things too. We love tradition. We love to, 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 to brag about the horseshoe. We love to have these helmet stickers. We love all the, the stats and all the things. But we also love to, and I don't use this word often, but we love to hate Michigan, right? <laughs> and I, mean, I could say that honestly. I don't necessarily hate a program or hate anybody specifically. It's more of a fun thing to kind of joke about having a rival. We dislike or we hate something else. And so that's part of the defining characteristic of being a Buckeye fan. And I think as we kind of reset today, I want to reset like this as we start. Because I think over the last several years, we've kind of gotten into this place where we've been defined by the things that we are against. Can anybody relate to that? You see uh, posts on social media or you hear different people talk about Christianity or you see other Christians, they posted or said things and we hear what they are against, but rarely we hear what we're for. And so as we reset, I'm going to share these things. We are as believers in Jesus, as part of God's universal truth or church, uh, meaning that all churches that believe in Jesus, we are a church that is for joy, we are a church that is for kindness, which means that we love, we embrace this concept of sharing God's truth with others, We others. We are for goodness. Dan and I talked about my mic not working early, and I feel like it's not, because I feel like the response that, that's happening right now We are for personal sacrifice. We are for, this is a tough one, we are for forgiveness. After all, we follow, we are disciples of the greatest forgiver in the history of the world. We are for being grace givers. We are for being good stewards, selfless givers. We are for unity. We are for life, both here on earth and eternal life for all humanity. We are for, we're for love. And not that stuff that you see maybe on TV or that you hear about in our society, but love that embraces the authorship of who God is. Because get this, God created love. And so I heard this said recently, God's the one that gets to define what love is. Not you and I, not our society, not whoever thinks that there's some kind of a genius on the topic. No, God defines love. And in God's definition of love, it includes goodness. It includes sacrifice. It includes kindness. It includes unity. It includes being a grace giver. It includes life. And so as we reset together, and I do think it's good to make sure that we, we recognize there are things that, quote unquote, that we are against, so to speak, but we need to recognize what we are for. And may we be defined by the things that we are for. The past few years have been, past few years have been tough, but let's not fight against. Let's fight for we're going to read this book, Colossians, not necessarily in its entirety, but I encourage you if, uh, if you're going to be here each week, and I do encourage you to be here each week, that you would read uh, the chapter that we're on. And so now, I didn't give you the homework assignment last week, now we're going to walk through a big portion of chapter one, next week we'll walk through part of one and two. And so I want to encourage you to read through this, it's only four chapters, you can read as much or as little as you'd like each week, but in the, con- in the, in the, in this, in the context of this month, read the whole book. Read the whole letter, and if you can, sit down and read it all in one sitting, at least once, because it is life-changing. In fact, even do that out loud. Resetting, getting back to basics, is spelled out specifically here in Paul's letter. And interesting enough, Paul is sitting in prison as he writes this letter, and just as though he does, he recognizes what God has called him to be for. He's writing to a church he didn't even know. You know, in many cases, we hear of his letters. He's written to churches that he knows, that he helped plant, that he's been a big part. He's been formative in their process, in their finding, in in their founding, and in in their growth. But in this specific one, he actually doesn't even know them. But he recognizes the pressures that this church is struggling with and the things that they have done that has caused them to drift from Jesus. Hello? Church in America? Yes? No? Okay. All right. Well, you guys just listen in. This message is obviously for somebody else. Now he recognizes that there's pressures all around them, and he recognizes the fact that Satan has been undermining, attacking, and attempting to try to bring them into a place where they're experiencing something else. The four main pieces, which we're going to highlight as we walk through this month, are one, that, that the exalting of Jesus, that God has brought forth this opportunity, this way through this person who is not just a person, but is God. He also talks about the suffering of apostles and the suffering that he's gone through and the suffering that apostles will walk through. He talks about the pressure of turning away and what it means to keep strong, to keep running the race of faith. And then finally, he talks about some specific tangible ways of what the resurrection opens up for them and how they can be changed and different through their actions and what God's called them to. In this series, we're going to look at these specific four and what does the church actually For? And so let's start, we're going to read beginning in in chapter 1, and I'm going to jump down to verse 3 for us to start. I'll read some verses, and then we're going to look at uh, the context of what they mean, and we'll go from there. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also... Told us of your love in the Spirit. So, first things first, this person, Jesus, who has brought forth the opportunity to experience love, who has brought forth the the avenue for and the channel for fruit to be experienced and to flourish and for for those to grow on all of these things, Paul begins with this thanksgiving that places all, all of the thanksgiving, all of the energy, all of the focus on the one who matters. And the first point is this, if you're following along, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. Without that, none of the rest of the letter would make sense. None of the rest of Scripture would make sense. None of of us would have the opportunity to experience this joy, this hope, this love, this kindness, this self-sacrifice. Instead, Christ, first and foremost, not anything that he did, but what he is, he is the cornerstone. Now, I don't pretend to be a builder, but I'll tell you a little bit about cornerstones. Perhaps you've used a cornerstone before. You know what they are. They have changed purpose over time. There has been different uses for cornerstones over time. And in relation to architecture and cornerstone is traditionally the first stone that's laid of a structure. The first stone that is placed, the first stone that is put down, the cornerstone is the one that starts everything. And in a lot of ways, the cornerstone is the one that brings reference and direction to all the other stones. In fact, to the entire structure, it becomes the foundational piece that the rest of the structure is built upon. It is fundamental, it is, it is the, 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 the ultimate, it is the one true thing that matters most. Not the door that comes on later, or the roof on the top, that one cornerstone that starts them all. Additionally, it also is the direction piece. It's the one that reveals where the, the, the building is going to face, what, what, what the structure, what purpose it's going to have, where it's going to go, all of those things. Hopefully nowhere, right? We don't want it to go anywhere. In more recent times, they, they've been about preservation. If you look at a cornerstone, you might see one that's more of a decorative piece. that's on the outside of a building that shows a year or, or, a, or a location or a time or even who the, the architect was on the outside. And within that context, it also reveals, uh, in many cases, what was most important in that time and what's important moving forward. Sometimes you'll see on a building that's been repurposed, even in a downtown, where it shows that it used to be a church, or it used to be a bank, or it used to be something else, and now it's something totally different. Those cornerstones reveal things. And those ones that are around the door, in many cases, you may not know this, in in many cases, the ones that are around the door are even hollow. And things are placed inside like a time capsule to reveal what is true, but at the same time to keep a, a, a record, to keep a, a, a firm grasp on what's most important. Because people know, just like you and I, and even in the building trade, that sometimes we can kind of fall away. We can, we can, we can leave what's most important. We can abandon our first love. And so these cornerstones can be structural, they are a direction, and they are also something that helps us to keep our focus on what matters most. In short, a, a cornerstone is indisposable, it's the most important piece. I may I ask you just a quick question you ever been in a building that's kind of shaky? Anybody? You ever been in a building where you're kind of like, I don't think I want to be in here. I don't want to stay all night in here for sure. I I, I want to get out of here. It's kind of moving. It's it's, it's shaky. It's not really. Christ is the cornerstone, the one who brings a solid foundation for all humanity. As the passage continues in verse 9, it reads like this. And I love this passage. It's actually a poem. And I, I actually was talking to somebody this morning, and they talked about how they pray this, this this passage fairly often. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Can I confess for a minute, I can't, I can't fully admit that I don't stop praying for you. I mean, after all, there's times when I have to take a break, right? My mouth gets dry, or I, you know, I have to eat something, right? I have to, I have to ha- you know, I have to, I have to have a conversation with my wife. I have to tell her I love her every once in a while, right? I admitted that earlier. No, he says I, I haven't stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I, I love that so much. He doesn't say I'm praying so that you gain a new speedboat and a brand new house. No, he says so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with his all with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us Get this, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you miss those last two verses? I'm going to read them again. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. Now, this is amazing. God has brought forth the opportunity for us to be able to to speak the same language He's speaking, to experience the same things, to be in His presence, to know Him in a real way. Not just know about Him, but to know Him, to, to be in relationship with Him. The point is this, uh, for, for this specific for, portion of the passage, and certainly there's a million things we can draw out of this, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the author and the giver of wisdom and spiritual understanding. He is the, he is the cornerstone, but he is also the one who brings forth opportunity as the cornerstone for us to know him, to grow in him, to experience, to, to, to experience what it means to know what forgiveness is and to live differently in light of it. Because it's one thing to experience forgiveness, now, some of us have experienced forgiveness from people before. Hey, I wronged you. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, that's great. But oftentimes, we kind of just kind of go about our day. Or we go about just the regular thing. But no, we live differently. We live free. We live in, in, in this place of, 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 of newness and wholeness, of completion. We live in a broken world. You and I know that. That's not a secret. It's a universal truth and understanding. We live in a broken world. And and as we walk through this brokenness, we need a rescuer. We need a redeemer. We need a forgiver. And without God's intervention in our life through the person of Jesus, certainly we, we remain there. This, this past week, I, I was um, blessed to be able to, to go to a conference, a Wesleyan conference. And at this conference, I, I couldn't help but realize how God was just continuing to impress some specific things on my heart, on my life in this process of growth. And it seemed like every speaker and, and then every song during the some of the ser- the, the uh, sessions it seemed like every seminar it seemed like every conversation I had with with preachers and other pastors from other places that that are that are within my network people that I know every conversation I had uh, with 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 um, with the the people that were in charge of this thing it seemed like every little conversation every thing I heard. All of these things were embracing these truths that God was attempting to try to teach me. And I kept thinking, man, God, what are you trying to say to me? And I think part of it, even for us today, is this, that a lot of times what he's trying to say to us is, hey, when you invest in time with me, when you embrace time with me, when you step forward in time with me, I can share things that you would never have been able to figure out on your own. You ever been in a place where you're like, oh man, I'm really stuck on this problem for school, or I'm really stuck on this thing at work, or, I'm stuck in this thing in a relationship, and you're kind of sitting there like trying to figure it out all for yourself, and then somebody comes along and you're like, oh, why don't you just carry the why? That was for the math people on this side. <laughs> no, sometimes it, it, it takes this embracing of something else and, and when it comes to our faith, it's, it's spelled out here. Paul gives a, a very clear picture and understanding for us that God says, Hey, I've sent one that's going to give you the opportunity to know what wisdom is. To live differently because of this, this spiritual understanding that you can only have through me. And certainly he'll work through other people. He'll work through people in your life. Maybe you're an accountability partner or he'll work through his scripture as he shares that. And he'll work through a sermon. He'll work through a podcast. He'll work through a song. He works through different things. Maybe even an action of giving. He works through things. But in all those things, that's God working for you, for your good, for your growth. For you to embrace him. And so you don't have to live in discouragement and despair. You don't have to live in these places that Satan has set up for you in the snares that he's, he's thrown out there for you. Instead, you can live in the light. i read it a couple times. I'm going to read it again because I, I, I want to make sure we get this. Verse 13, "...for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves." In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I just want to explore real quick. And I, I, I don't want this, this entire series isn't going to be a huge, uh, you know, exegetical thing where we dig deep on every single word. Now, I will tell you that when I'm, when I'm preparing, I do that a lot. I, don't, I just don't always bring it to the platform. But certainly as we dig deep in this, I want us to recognize something as we look at Paul's words here. Now, I have many hats, and perhaps you have many hats, many names you're known by. At Christmas, when I was home, I got to see my brother-in-law, and, and he is Puerto Rican, and so he calls me hermano, right? Which means brother, okay? Math people didn't know Spanish, but he, he, <laughs> he, he I don't, is that a thing? I don't know, I just made that. So, he, he calls me hermano, hey, hermano, how you doing? And, and, you know, we see each other, talk a little bit, we hang out. You when I was at the conference this past week, a lot of people call me Pastor Steve, depending upon where they knew me from. Whether it was a student I used to have, or somebody that used to go to a church I always have. If it was somebody from from school, they just call me Steve. You know, that's that's my name, obviously. And uh, you know, if 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 I get, I don't know if, if uh, my wife has ever noticed this. If I get a letter in the mail from my dad, no matter what it is, if it's just like, hey, this came in the mail, I'm just going to forward it to you. Uh, we have the same name, and so a lot of times he'll get my mail. And so not as much as he used to, but uh, he'd get my mail. And when he sends something to me, he always puts Reverend. Stephen Warner. Never calls me that in person, but Reverend Stephen Warner. At the pool, when I'm, when I'm, I'm hanging out at the pool, it's, it's with the kids, it's daddy, dad, 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 throw me, dad, throw me off the side, dad, whatever it might be. And for the 12-minute coffee date I had with my wife this past week, without interruption, she called me honey twice, I counted. Different names, different settings. Different names, different purpose, different names, different hat, different meaning for each one. And perhaps you can relate to this with the different names that you have. Why did Paul see fit in this passage to say, particularly back in verse 3, Lord Jesus Christ, why is that important? You know, this name means more. He could have just said Jesus. He could have just said Lord. He could have just said Christ. He could have, there's many different ways. And I think one of the things that happens within the context of the translation into English is we lose something of significance in what God's trying to say. But right here in saying Lord Jesus Christ, what he is referring to is the supremacy of who Jesus is. And if you're reading this and you're looking at, at why, does, why does it matter so much? Why does it matter that, that Christ is, is God? Why does it matter that he comes along in this? Right here we recognize that in different settings, and different places, we hear of Jesus in different ways. But what, what Paul is trying to get across is Jesus Christ is the Masonic Supreme. He is the supreme being. He is the Messiah who has come. And with that phrase, it's not just, okay, I'm clocking in, Messiah is here. No, there's something that goes with that. There's this salvation change. There's this growth moment. There's a difference that happens in your life and in my life as a result of embracing this Messiah, Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is our rescuer and our source of redemption and forgiveness. And that statement is only something that can be made true. That, that point is only something that can be made true as a result of the action and the presence of the one true God, Messiah. You know, We celebrated Christmas a couple of weeks ago. And as we did, we celebrated the coming of the King, the coming of God into this world. And that recognition of the Messiah coming was a, was a fulfillment of, of all that, that those who had been waiting had been asking, when is this going to happen? This Advent moment as they came, as this whole thing came to fruition, we recognize the fact that as it came to fruition, not just a person, a baby was born, but lives, all lives had the opportunity to embrace real change. These points of truth that I've shared today kind of bring forth a subset of, uh, of some specific things about uh, who Jesus is and who God is and what this whole thing looks like. And so I'm going to give these a point of reference as I read this, this last portion of the passage today and then fill in the blanks. I'm going to do these rather quickly, especially for those of you who are like, hey, you've got three points and you've got four more to go and math majors again. I get it. It's all right. You, you know that, that we've got some time left, but we, here we go. I, I want to read this. Take this in. Take this in. And that has been proclaimed to every creature under him, heaven. And of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so I want to brace these four specific characteristics, these four things about the nature of God. These four things that demand a response for all humanity. The first one is this, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God, and why does this matter? Because if Christ was, was, was not God, if he came to this earth and he was not God, then his sacrifice would be subservient to God, and it wouldn't be enough for you and for me. He had to be God. He had to be 100% man and 100% God, because if he was not, if he did not come in this place as, as the one true God, then he would not be sufficient. His promises were fulfilled, his work was done, his sacrifice was sufficient. The second thing is this, Jesus Christ reconciled you. And I didn't put us there, and I didn't put me there. I want this to be personal, and I recognize the fact that that sometimes can be divisive within the context of a unified congregation. But each person has to make a decision. You can't go on the decision of your parents, or of your spouse, or somebody else. No, you have to make a decision, and you need to recognize that Jesus Christ reconciles and reconciled you. As God, he reconciles all things. His action was personal. It was, it, was, it was to embrace you, your soul, your created spirit. And how is this accomplished? It's done so on the cross when he died and then beat death, and then, and then rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. Which brings us to our next point, which is this, that Jesus Christ offered the ransom. That was the ransom. His death on the cross was a ransom for you. That this price that you could not pay, this, 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 uh, this bill, so to speak, that you didn't have the money for, or the goodness for, so to speak, spiritually, you, you didn't have what it took to be able to fill the debt that was needed, the debt that needed to be filled. Christ brought the Father and the creation that were enemies together and said, okay, you are now one. And then finally, this fourth one, the gospel is for all because Jesus Christ, the one. The gospel is for all people because of Jesus, the one. And it's interesting that he brings all together under one umbrella because he doesn't say, okay, well, you, you that, that have been part of my, my family a long time or you that grew up this way or you that had parents or grandparents that were believers. No, it's all people, no matter our background, no matter our, our ethnicity, no matter our what's in our bank account. No, God says you, you are reconciled because of the one true God. The gospel is for all because of the one. He is the only sacrifice that's needed. He is the cornerstone. He is the lamb. He is the one true God. And he's gone all in for us with the response desire that we would go all in for him. The all-in nature of the nativity is one that sees this baby, not twins, not one that, that decided to come as a human, but this baby enter into this world in a humble fashion and say, okay, I am here, I am ready, I, I, I want to, to, to be the, the, the one atoning sacrifice for all. When God steps in, he, he recognizes the fact that the nativity brought forth this promise foretold of the Bethlehem story, of the virgin birth, the shepherds to come, and humbly he said, Yes, one baby, one one time one one person, one God. But I think what happens oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we're either holding a little bit back or we, we keep this one place hidden or we say, God, you know what, I, I really appreciate what you've done for me, but I got this area handled. I can, I can take care of this area if you just let me kind of hold on to it. Maybe it's a, a place where you're like, you know what? I've been struggling with this physical illness for a long time, and I prayed that God would take it away, and he hasn't. And so I'm kind of just going to do it myself. I'll just live with the pain. Or maybe it's a place where you recognize, okay, you know what, I, I, I've had this, this frustration or this, this difficulty in relationship and this person, they just, they just don't get it. They, don't, they can't figure it out. They're not doing it the way that I would do it or they don't have the ideas that I would and, or they've hurt me so bad. And so, you know what, I'm just going to kind of toss them out. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I want, I want you to reconcile. Because here's the thing. Here's the truth and the blessing of the God we serve. He doesn't just serve us partway or halfway or in pieces, but he serves us wholly. He loves us wholly. And he calls, he desires for us to do the same. And so we're going to conclude this service. I'm going to just ask for us to all search our hearts in response. And so if you would stand at this moment, if you're able, and we're going to sing in just a moment, but before we do, I want us to search our hearts specifically for what God might be leading us to this new year as we get back to basics. And perhaps it's a, a message you've heard a million times. Of course, I know that Jesus is God. Of course, I know that he died for me. Of course, I, I recognize, but maybe it's a message you've heard a million times. But maybe today it's just a moment where you say, God, I want, I want to reaffirm this truth in my life. God, I want to tell you again, I love you. I know I've said it before, but I love you. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.